The walk to my office is 15 minutes from the studio gate. An Uber drops me off and I walk across the lot, usually accompanied by a mid-grade hangover, trying not to get run over by a trolley full of tourists getting fed such thrilling Hollywood tidbits as, this is where Hitchcock thought up new ways to torture Tippi Hedren. Then they all point to a sad, rundown office and everyone murmurs amongst themselves, impressed, and the trolley trudges on, as do I. Someone invariably whizzes by me on a golf cart, stops and reverses to ask, Do you need a ride? I am fine, I say, drenched in sweat, looking like Reese Witherspoon in Wild. They look me up and down. Are you sure? I nod and keep walking. Having mild cerebral palsy and a limp means that strangers love to inquire about my well-being. But like, I'm a gay man in his mid-thirties with an expensive haircut wearing APC jeans. I work very hard to appear palatable, easy to digest, the crustini of disability. Still, people see me and think I'm serving near-death realness. As I approached my office that day, I thought about how nice it would be to turn back around, call an Uber, and crawl back into bed. I'm a writer for a television show called Sammy Says. It's about a woman named Sammy who, it turns out, is a robot, and, um, hijinks ensue? Oh, and Sammy has kids. One who's a robot, one who's not. I don't even want to get into the weird sex that must have gone down for that to happen. Whatever. I make a stupid amount of money. Our offices take up an entire floor. On one side is the writer's room with all of the writer's offices. On the other is accounting and, well, me. I still have no idea why my office is so far away from the other writers, but being exiled really sets the stage for the culture of the job. It's like I'm invisible, and someone is dropping tiny turds on my heart all day long. The biggest turd dropper is my boss, Ethan, a well-preserved gay man in his 50s who hates everyone almost as much as he hates himself. Our relationship didn't start off so acrimonious. In the beginning, Ethan loved me. At my job interview in a Starbucks in Universal City, this place is fucking disgusting, the studio made us meet here, was the first thing he said to me. I did my usual stand-up routine. I grew up in Ventura. (laughs) It's like Laguna Beach, but with meth? And Ethan said flatly, you are so funny. Almost like it was a threat, but I took the compliment anyway. He then asked me why I walked like I'd just gotten railed by all the employees of a West Hollywood juice bar, and I was taken aback, of course, but I rolled with it, referring to my cerebral palsy as cerebral lousy. He thought that was hilarious. (laughs) He loved all my slang. Translation, he was seduced by how young I was and hoped that it would rub off on him. Anyway, I landed the job, and the first few months bordered on fun. People listened to my pitches and nodded approvingly. I got a fair amount of jokes in. And then, just like that, there was a shift. I'd seen Ethan turn on other writers arbitrarily out of boredom, but I thought, I, the cerebral, lousy wonderkind, was safe. I read somewhere that being neglected is in some ways worse than being abused. It was an odd, unfamiliar feeling, because ever since I can remember, I have made a point to be the very best at my job. I was editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, got all the coveted internships, always received straight A's except for math, but I'm convinced that's only because of the brain damage I incurred at birth. I've always been a type A workhorse, eager to impress. When I first got staffed on a TV show at 25, my mission was to get everyone absolutely obsessed with me. Who is this weird guy with a limp, I'd imagine them saying as I accidentally drooled into my ramen at lunch. And I would respond with, I'm the funniest, most talented person you've ever met, babe. Every day, I tap danced for people until I got blisters, and it worked. I developed a solid reputation in the industry and had been steadily employed for years, which is a rare feat for a television writer. But it seems that Sammy says, my charms and talent had finally run out. I entered the writer's room and took an empty seat next to Joan, my one and only ally. 
She used to be a doctor, but then she wrote a spec script about a horse that solves murders and moved into TV. She's tiny and dry as a goddamn bone. I watched that doc about SeaWorld last night, Blackfish, Joan said, yawning. Babe, um, update computer? That outrage is so 2013. I know, Joan said, leaning in and lowering her voice to a whisper. But you know the trainers whose job it is to jack off the whales? I nodded. I feel like Ethan is Tillicum and we're all just the trainers tricking him off. True, but Ethan would be so offended that you compared him to a whale. We chuckled. Our co-workers, Cindy, Amy, and Tom, a.k.a. Haunted Houses with Fillers, looked over and shot us death stares. Expressing joy was strictly forbidden here. Ethan then entered with his bite-sized dog, Monica, people who name their dogs regular people names will never not scare me, and took a seat at the head of the table. The network threw out the story about Sammy being unable to talk after her vocal chip goes missing. 